0: Welcome to Global Yadi. This podcast captures conversations on culture and sustainable living and connects people from all over the world. I am Dana Lynn, the Global Yadi, and your host. Thanks for tuning in. Global Yadi. Global Yadi. Global Global Yadi. Global Yadi. Global Yadi. Global Yadi. Global Yadi. Global What's going on, I'm Dana Lynn, your host, and today in our guest chair, we have a Nigerian-American doctor, Cornell University Fellow. He is a husband and a dad, and he is the founder of an organization which now has over 100,000 members, the Team 54 Project and they're all about climate action operating in, get this, over 169 countries. So we are going to talk to Buje, Dr. Buje Daniel Chidebem, about Yay. his Yay,
1: thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank we're you gonna to delve into the work
0: c 54 project so that we can gain more insight into what it is like coordinating an organization with a social impact of this magnitude and really driving climate action in more than one country. So much to talk about. Daniel, welcome, welcome to Global Yadi. Yay!
1: Thank you for having me in Global Yadi. Thank you so much. First, first, I, I must tell you that I love your podcast and I like the authenticity of what it's all about. I think this is what young people should start looking up to. It's a different thing from what we always know. You know, dance is good. Choreography <laughs> is good. But sometimes we, you have to have another content, you know, especially at this time in our lives where people are beginning to realize that we're not really doing too well. So right. we're looking for an alternative. So thank you for uh, a podcast like this that gives that extra platform for people, you know, emerging to be able to display to the world. This is the little that we are doing to making the world slightly better. So it's thumbs up for you any day. Yaddy yaddy all the way. Ah,
0: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much, Danielle. I really appreciate that. I mean, this it's my podcast, but it's about sharing the platform with people like you, a lot of people across the world who are doing wonderful things that we don't get to have the conversation. As I had said before, you can put it in an Instagram caption, you can write a blog post, but having this extended conversation, you know, it's very much needed. And it's kind of difficult because, you know, a lot of podcasts, it's about entertainment, it's about girl talk, it's about women talk, and we all need that and there's spaces for that. So it's, it's you know, a lot of work and, and trying to push through having this conversation. So I appreciate I appreciate you and I appreciate the people who take time out to listen to make this a success. Now, Daniel, I I remember I met you around nine months ago. I'm not so good, but let's just say. Yes, you're right. You're right. Sometime last year and at the UN Youth Climate Summit. And I was so surprised where I'm meeting this Nigerian man for the first time. And he's like, I saw your poem. I know you. I, you know, And, you know, you should do make this and you know do more work in climate change and, and use this creativity use this platform to do something and I want to let you know that Global Yadi part of me doing this your words of encouragement was was part of the fuel which led to me creating this platform because it was actually at that summit where I've still felt like small island developing countries being from the caribbean developing nations people from the african region i didn't find that according to the reality of the situation and, and what people talk about we are the most vulnerable when it comes to climate change and in need of climate action. And I felt like the emphasis was just not there. Why didn't we have that center stage and platform? And I said, you know what? Instead of always lobbying for people to give us the space and give us a spotlight, it's about creating the platform for yourself. And, you know, that is what I did. So I want to say, Daniel, you know, you were actually part of, of the inspiration in me doing this, When you spoke about, I did a poem for some persons who may have seen on Twitter that was um, a recital of our cultural icon, Dr. Louise Benicoverly We call her Miss Lou in Jamaica. She's one of the persons who really was a forerunner for bringing the Jamaican dialect to the rest of the world and, and the Jamaican patois that a lot of people know us for. And you said, why not try to use that vehicle to spread awareness of climate action. And I'm, I'm getting there. The other day I did a Corona poem and I also did a poem for Earth Day. And again, I come back. So Daniel, you've been inspiring Global Yadi in so many ways than, than you actually know. So I think it's just only fitting that we, we share the platform with you. And before we even get into all that you're doing, we say all of that to say thank you for the inspiration. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. And to be fair, when I met you nine months ago, I was very impressed because I know the process into selecting the finest minds to come at the UN General Assembly you yes. know, to represent your country. It means a lot when I saw uh, the three of you. you know, and, and it touched me so much because when we had the conversation, I had known you previously from the poem from Ms. Glue. The poem was very original. You were down to earth. And the content of the messaging is this, that we have not forgotten you. And that's what most people, you know, that have been vulnerably displaced or that have been uh, forgotten in the system always want. They want a system where they are not forgotten. They want a system where they are inclusive. And I think you, you made her memory, you know, relieve. I never knew about her, but immediately after that point, I did some of my field research and I was touched that such a person actually should be the one reading and, you know, spearheading that country. You know, a person that is visionary, a person that is proud of where she comes from, should actually be the person that should be the driving force for sustainable development. And that, for me, is what you did. You just relieved her memory, and then that poem touched my heart. Thank you so much.
0: Wow. (laughs) Thank you, um, evoking such meaning. And um, it's easy to say a lot of what you have just highlighted is actually something that i realized in your project um the team 54 project before we get to the team 54 i don't know why we're teasing ourselves so much but daniel tell us a little bit about you outside of the organization you're a dad you're a husband um, and you're a medical doctor and Talk to us about your upbringing. Were you, and know you're Nigerian-American. Did you grow up in Nigeria? So talk, give us a little story before, you know, the Daniel of now.
1: Okay. So the Daniel that you know was born in Nigeria, in the southeastern part of the country. And, um, but because most of us in the southeastern part of the country are well-traveled. So we travel across the country, Nigeria. So I grew up in Lagos. You must have heard of Lagos. Lega. Lagos is like mini Jamaica. <laughs> you know, they're very yes. flashy, very flamboyant. They are party. It's always a lively city. So I grew up in Lagos. And I grew up in uh, an area in Lagos that's not the ivy area, you know. But it was an area where the educational level was 100% better than the average in the entire country. And when I was done with my elementary and high school, I went to um, the best university in the country, University of Ibadan, they call it U and I. You know, it's the premier university that was opened by the Queen now in England in 1948. So uh, what used to happen then is that uh, that that university was the off campus of, you know, of Oxford University. You know, but when independence came in 1960, the 1948 name changed to University of Ibadan, being the local state where the university is domiciled. Then I went through the College of Medicine with my interest more in um, oral surgery. And when I was done, I uh, started my residency training program. And then along the line, you know, my country started experiencing you know, some very uh, unstable moments, which is common amongst Africans. And as a young person, just like you, I felt there's more that I need to know in this journey of life, you know. So, but I got married, you know, to (laughs) a wonderful woman. You understand? So she gave me a more clearer perspective. So I had at the back of my mind a personal obligation. I had at the back of my mind a societal obligation. I had at the back of my mind now an international obligation, yeah, though the letter two that I had marriage made me now know that there's more more to me you know and to all my goals together, and uh, I have three kids i 'm a father now, my son the, the last one is a month old. trust me i don 't sleep because my sh- schedule are so tight, you know i, I don 't <laughs> sleep, and it, it was it was
0: yeah. just. <laughs>
1: You know very I, awesome
0: i wanna I wanna interject here because a little bit before uh we started the interview, I asked you because I do know that you added <laughs> and there was a, a a new addition to the to the family to the fold and I was like, "How is it babe and you're like, you're not sleeping and you said, listen, don't rush talk't rush. <laughs> <said,
1: "No>, <laughs> <We laughs> rush don't rush I don't, rush. I don't <laughs> rush no, no to be fair to be fair uh, uh, don't rush." You know, I've learned a lot in this journey, and it's something we need to tell our young people. Whatever you are getting to be fully prepared. You have to have the mental capacity. It should not distort, and it should not spoil every other thing that you are doing. You know, you must ensure as much as possible you fully have a grasp of what you're doing. Yes, um, my son is my second son and my third child. Uh, As you know, in Africa, we are... We are a communal nation, it's not about one person. And uh, I and my wife had to reach a, a mutual consensus on the number. And the age gap between my last boy, who is now six years old, and my son who is one month old is six years. So there's a lot of gap in it. We started early because in our country, and for my own tribe and my own family and our family together, We do not believe in, you know, promiscuity. We believe that um, a family is an agreement from God, is a divine stuff. And you all need to be very responsible. If you know that you are willing to be responsible and committed, we will guide you through this journey. So many of our folks in Africa where I come from, we marry early, you know. So we marry early because we want to be responsible on time. We do not want to be distracted. Many of us have fixed goals, you know, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do. You can't be having kids when you are, you know, spiking in your progress in life, you know. Now I'm plateauing, you know, <laughs> so there's a bit of stability. But it's the truth you, um, for young women, especially young men, uh, I will want to advise you that women are not trophy. They are they are your partners, just like you do business with other people. You cannot be the driver the person packaging, the person selling, then the person closing the gate. No, 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 no. That would be too much for you. Every single person has a role he needs to play. So there has to be a mutual understanding between you and your wife or your partner. But more importantly, you have to be mentally prepared to know what goes into taking care of a child, what goes into grooming a child, what goes into nursing a child, what goes into ensuring that you're in the perfect state of mind. When you know you are just waking up from sleep, and it's only 30 minutes you slept, and the baby is just telling you that I've just woken up by 1 a.m. in the morning, you you are dreaming of ice cream, you're in the beach, you and everything, <laughs> and that 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 spiking noise just hits you. So what reminds me is that uh, you know my faith and my religion tells me that you have to show love, even when people are not considerate for what you do, you have to. And you have to be more open to the fact that you are bringing somebody into this life. You have to gradually understand that you have to make sacrifice, hoping that one day he will make sacrifice for you. So if you're a young girl, you're a young man listening to this podcast, don't be in a rush. Understand your situation. Be mentally prepared. Be financially prepared. That's the truth. Don't have kids that will become a problem to the system. Do not have, there's no point. Don't deceive yourself. There's no, I'm over for the first time in a long time. We are beginning to see a discussion with respect to having children you can take proper care of. The system does not have money for them. All the system has is to put them in jail to give them, get them shot. So why have a child that will take you through nightmare? Why do you have to bury a child? So the most important thing, you must groom your child in such a way that they understand the reality of the times. You must be mentally prepared to hawk them from now to your last breath. That's the truth. Mm. You know, or now. 10, 20 years ago, you let them lose. But yeah. now, yeah. you're going to be that hawkish mama and papa from beginning to the end. If you, are, you know you're not caught out for that responsibility, you still want to vibe. Yeah. You're, still, you're in your carnival mentality. Trust me, you don't groom a child on a carnival mentality. You groom a child on a timeline with total devotion and total sacrifice. I just finished feeding him about two hours ago, and he's napping now. And I know fully well in the next four hours he'll be waking up. I know he's gonna wee. I know he's gonna pull. His first pull will be little. And the second poo after the first meal will be much. You know, I know fully well that he tries to cough. He's not coughing, he's a stepping stone to a tantrum. You know, so you have to, you have to be mentally prepared. But my wife has really helped me a lot. You know, she's the one that is doing the exclusive breastfeeding, you know, it's a thing for us in Africa. You know, it's a thing for us because that's the first immunity you can give. Pending the time, we now go to the clinic in six weeks' time for him to get his shot. He's not gotten his shot yet, but he will soon get his shot. It's a timely thing, you know, that we need to do so. So my advice is to all our women, don't let any man get you involved. You're not a trophy. You are a work in progress. And um, in the pursuit of happiness, these babies come in in place but for them to come in place you have to ensure you have a home for them they have to be financially secured you have to ensure that you are in the mental state of mind you know to to really impact and very importantly you must make sure that they understand their culture you must make sure that they understand the family tradition or else they'll pick another tradition and then that brings conflict so it's it's an ever ever learning process for us but for now, it's. it's tough. Uh, I, and I don't want anyone to think it's a funny thing. It's tough. And then don't forget, you have to put a lot on the line. There are many interviews I had to stop uh, doing. The, uh, now I have a management team. I had to now create another management team, mm-hmm. you know, that will run the organization so I can have a balanced life and have a balanced life. But it's a fun thing. I'm a young man, you know. The best thing you can do, when you are young now is to devote that vitality into inspiring young ones so that when they grow up, you tell them that this is what I did at a time like this. And you cannot do less. So yes, I am uh, making the standard so high, like my wife is saying, you know, I'm shooting it so high so that when my kids now reach of age to begin their path, they know where to start.
0: Wow. Um I'm just so lessons and lessons and lessons i was drinking everything in i was so engrossed in, in you know what you were saying and you touched on so many different elements there about family planning about mental preparation about honoring cultural tradition um and what and what it what goes into creating maintaining and sustaining a family and there is a surface level for, for for those of us who are looking in you know, being on the outside, not having that experience. And I, I, I think I don't want really, you said a lot, so I don't want to like rehash every single thing right now, but I think it was very good insight and how you were actually able to link what it means balancing the family and running the organization that you do. Because I mean, Daniel, over a hundred thousand members and you're now operating in 169 countries. Three years later, this all started in 2017. What inspired yeah. the concept for this project? And, and talk to us about that and, you know, how you managed to execute all of this.
1: I know. And, and you're very right. That To me, it's still like a miracle because even registered in the United States, we're just three years old. It was actually in 2018 that we got it. Uh, the, the official registration, but we've been existing since 2017. So, to your question, how did it come about? It started with social media, you know, Facebook. We we did not have a Twitter handle, we did not have an Instagram handle in 2017. It's Facebook. Uh, but before we started, it all began in my country, Nigeria. If you've been following what is happening in West Africa you will understand that there is this uh, nomadic lifestyle that have existed for over 150 years. That's true, that's a fact. And this nomadic Mm. lifestyle allows people to move from one region of West Africa, I'm giving an example, um, Guinea, to another region of West Africa, the last limit, Nigeria. So West Africa has about um, more than a dozen nations within its uh, block and from the west, the most west part of Africa, to almost approaching the east part of Africa, where Nigeria borders between Nigeria and Cameroon. That's where that West African um, extent reaches. We discover that there's this transhuman migration of cattle from that region to our country, or to the southern part of the western uh, coast. But because Nigeria has a larger mass of land, these uh, headsmen now called the Fulani, these herdsmen move from, from uh, for days, 60 to 70 days until they get to Nigeria because their cattle's love the grasses in the savanna. The savanna is the region where these grasses grow, and the cattle's also love the the, the grasses in the rainforest region, which is more southern part of all the West African uh, 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 country. I grew up in the west in the southern part of the West African coast. So in the last um, 12 years, if you Google, you will notice that there seems to be conflict between these headsmen and the sedentary farmers in the southern part of the country. And as at 2014, I'd lost loved ones who are in my own region, you know, they got stabbed, you know, they were killed, their heads, people's heads were chopped off. You know, it was a very, uh, very terrible time. And because in the continent of Africa, people strive on ethnic, ethnic uh, sentiments, tribal sentiments, religious sentiment. By sentiment, I mean people try to stoke uh, fear and conflicts by, you know, pitching uh, uh, one tribe against another tribe, one ethnic group against an ethnic group. So I didn't understand the message. Why are people all of a sudden start killing people? Why should headsmen be killing other citizens of their country? There has to be something more than that. Is that the value of a human life? A cow and a human life, it's, you can't compare. So I started doing my research work. And as a young doctor then, I was very concerned because now I had lost someone, an uncle, to something that very uh, that i didn't get i didn't understand why a cow should be more important so my research now led me to the fact that a desertification process has started since 2007 in the sudan area so the conflict that we're having in my country is a transnational conflict so and it's a transnational conflict because natural resources now are becoming scarce the number of population are increasing so people are trying to Control you know the water body that 's the lake, where these heads uh, cows will get to drink on the on the West African coast, people are also controlling the land where these animals need to spread these animals to observe fully well that the grasses are becoming limited, so they are following the trace to where grasses still remain, mm-hmm. and as they leave and move from uh, where they started from in Futa Jalon you know in another country you understand they are following the path of the stream and is leading them down to nigeria and because african leaders in my country have not been very responsible of course the covid has exposed fully well that no african country can even provide palliative for half their population so we are about 200 million in my country and mm-hmm. i will tell you authoritatively this is their own record uh, 2.6 million people to 3 million people we're the only people that got palliative of 200 million people in 12 weeks. That That's not stupid. what. Only 2.6 million people were able to get palliative. By palliative, and mm-hmm. uh, they got less than less than uh, fifty dollars, okay. and they got um, um, less than um, less than 25 kilograms of rice. You know. million people to 3 million people were the only ones that got palliative out of 200 million Nigerians. Mm. So if you look at that statistic, you know that there's a big problem and that's the biggest uh, country in Africa, Nigeria. buys land. And what then happens to others? So um, the, the movement of these headsmen now came with a lot of things. At that time, again, Libya was undergoing a lot of stress and uh, weapons were coming in. Gaddafi was buying weapons and the part where the Fulani were were coming, that part where they generated to come to Nigeria was the pathway where the weapons were being smuggled. So some of these headsmen came in contact with, you know, merchants that were selling this weapon and because they were having a lot of uh, pushback by farmers as they were tagging along. And they knew fully well that when they get to Nigeria, where the population is way much more, they may begin to have some stuff. They got those weapons to protect originally. The story is to protect their cattle from being wrestled or being stolen. And then when they got to Nigeria, Nigeria was going through one of the worst times politically. There was an election coming in. The, the then president lost the election. He knew he was losing. He was panicking. He was doing everything along the line to try and get people, but people were tired of his reign. The security challenges was bad. The sustainable development goals were not met at all. Healthcare right. was bad. Everything was on the bad, 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 bad. You know, And then these guys came in to see a battered nation. Farmers were angry. They were killing some of the herdsmen's cow now that have arrived. you know. And before we know what was happening, by 2014, a report on desertification had started the entire northern part of Africa and the entire northern part of my country were experiencing desertification, complete loss of grasses. No grass, no tree for miles. Droughts now started gripping the entire northern part of the country. Sand was more, you know, than grasses. There was Mm. no element of grass. And, you know, livestock and even human beings struggle naturally to exist when there are grasses and trees. Now, what do, will they go through when there is none, you know? And then the weather started increasing, you know, the erratic extreme weather. Temperature rise was becoming unbearable. So when they arrived in Nigeria, they started moving from the northern part. They came into the northern part and started descending to the south. The south part of our country is closer to the coast, the Atlantic that uh, we share with uh, you folks. So that movement of people with their early interaction with weapons from the conflict that happened in libya with the ongoing inability of government to meet uh, the needs of people with the overbearing impact of environments only created you know one of the most dangerous and one of the most destructive time in west africa from south sudan to mali to togo they experienced serious conflict but it got ex- expanded or uh, uh, people took Opportunity of the chaos and anarchy, and then we started having more radical, more tribalistic stuff. But it all started with the natural environment receiving very few natural uh, resources and dwindling impacts.
0: Right, because everything goes back to the natural resources. We, we, we that's the first, um, you know, phase of, of you know, socio-economic progress, prosperity, and and that's why we have this issue. No, thank you for painting such a very vivid picture of the you know the scenario of how it all started and and what inspired you to to realize that something must be done and two years ago I delivered a guest lecture at the University of the West Indies in Jamaica and you know a colleague of mine invited me to talk about the global environment conflict and I had actually mentioned about the transboundary nature of environmental challenges and I spoke about the Fulanis you know and the I did a case study. I have the pre- I had to bring up the presentation of the Fulanis versus the indigenous farmers. But I'm making the case that I would have shared about that scenario, but meeting somebody from that and, and, and you putting across what is the lived reality is completely a different thing where you know we are in this space where reading about things is not just phenomena that you come across online. These are real lives that are yeah. being affected and it yeah. and it has ripple effects throughout not just your community, but the country. So Daniel, after you have you know detailed all uh, the, the, the domino effect and, and the gravity of the situation, what then was your decision? Like, what did you say you were going to do? So my decision
1: this? was that I need to bring to the attention of people that rather than us look at this issue as a political, as uh, um, the southern people against the northern people, my tribe against the Fulani tribe. I'm from the Igbo tribe. There were other tribes, the Yoruba tribe. Rather than all see it, because the Yorubas and the Igbos were in the southern place, rather than not see it as a political stuff, we must destroy them, we must fight back, we must weaponize. Let us know why they are moving from one region. And all of a sudden, in 150 years, they realize that we're here. And it led me now to um, the World Medical Association. So the World Medical Association is the umbrella body of doctors all over the world. Somehow, because of my advocacy and because of my need to be different, I ended up becoming a union leader in the medical profession. So in 2015, I got elected by doctors in Nigeria. They represent about 65% of the health force. We call ourselves resident doctors, but in the world, we are junior doctors. So we are doctors in training to become specialists in the 17 areas of Specialty: orthopedic, pediatric, oral surgery, neurology, uh, nephrology. You know, cardiology, or, or, or orthopedic, oral. Maxi- you know, all those areas of interest. But there's one thing that happened: as resident doctors, we were very bitter that our elders were not were not preparing us for the future. Whatever they were telling us were the things in 1974, and we were in 2015. And I felt it was just so odd that. I will go online with my privileged position then as a union leader. And I will see wonderful things, doctors, younger doctors than us were doing. I'm like, what? This is not nanotechnology. We're not even talking about nano now. We're still talking about parastamol. This is ridiculous. So why is it that our elders will remain and go abroad and only come back and tell us nothing? So I got very concerned. I went to the World Medical Association. They supported us. We went for an event in 2015 i won the best um junior doctor award you know uh, where doctors from all over the world will give you a position paper create a proposal and then come and present it you know i defeated japan germany united states of america you know uh, and then i was given that award so it was a big boost for me and then the world medical association were very interested and then I sat down in one of the meetings and they were talking about environmental stuff. They were telling me about the impact of climate change. I was like, oh my goodness. They mentioned the issue of transhuman migration. I remembered immediately that's what's co- causing the trouble. Yeah. And after that meeting, I decided that I have to set up, you understand, an organization. But I have to start using the things that I know. I never knew what it means to run a nonprofit, run a global brand. I didn't know. But I knew that social media then was the in thing. Let us first gather like minds, mm. you know, uh, and then start creating content. And then we went through Facebook. So I am really very grateful to Facebook. You know, you know, we started as five people were just five, me, my brother, my wife, and my best friend, you know, uh, you know, they laughed at it initially. I said, you know, everything that is going to be big always has to start from small things. And the Cinderella story is always that maid that is never given full recognition. And then her sisters, you know, that are being pampered and everything. And then she grinds, she knows how to cook, she knows how to mop, she's very resilient. And then at the end of the day, you know, she gets to marry the princess. So I painted that story to the five of them. And then somehow I went online again, and I got in contact with um, an organization called Climate Reality Project is run by his excellency, Albert Gore. We call him Al Gore. Al Gore was the 2009 uh, Nobel Prize Award winner. So he runs this uh, organization called Climate Reality Project. So what they do is they chunk out fellows, you know, and teach them the climate education and somehow I was lucky to be one of the 1,200 people to be selected and lucky to be one of the few Africans that were privileged to come over. So I was able to come over to the United States. And for more than one week, we went through a lot of training in Colorado. And um, that for me, you know, more. And then I had a discussion with him. He saw me, you know, in my full dress. He just said, wow, I love the way you dressed. I said, thank you so much, sir. You know, I didn't know he was the one, but I saw security people around him. I don't know. This guy has to be a very important person. <laughs>
0: yes.
1: I when? Uh, uh, wait a minute. Why is everybody calling him our girl? So I started stammering. I'd, I'd like to talk. Uh, 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 are you <laughs> are you said, yes, yes, yes. Can I have like a few minutes? I said, take the whole day, take the whole day. Please just, ju- just hold me. I'm your son. Take me as your son. He laughed. And he told me that he loved the wisdom, and he loved some of the interactions that I have been uh, going on, I've been having on online. That Africa is in their need of people like us. That I need to create more content, you know, and I need to localize this message to the peculiarity of our region. Mm. He says he understands that polar bear may not look something like uh, a catchy thing for an African, but his goat, his hen, his farm, you know. And I said yes. That the messaging is the same. It's just we have to look for that commonality. And you must domesticate this message. I was touched for nine minutes, eight minutes and 45 seconds. Nine minutes, I was there. For two minutes, I was still watching him, you know, and my life changed. So that way, I returned back to the World Medical Association. I represented them, the first African to represent the World Medical Association in 200 years at the UN UN Framework Convention. Uh, event called the COOP. So I went to Cope 22, you know, in Marrakesh in Morocco, in Morocco, sponsored by the World Medical Association. That expanded my head. I also was uh, a delegate nominated for Germany in Bonn the following year, COOP 23. That expanded my year. By COOP 23, we now have Team 54 project. I got a scholarship opportunity in Cornell University you know, and that expanded my head. So I started building base. By now, the Facebook group has started growing to 10 to 20, 3, And then my meetings at the Climate Reality Project, my meeting, I was making up friends. Any convention I go to, I must have 600 Facebook friends. I'll add them to the group. And then we started building from there. People started seeing the message. I was doing daily broadcast on my Facebook page. I was inviting ordinary people. To give their minds across the continent. I brought somebody from Albania in Europe. Many people did not know Albania existed. I brought somebody from Fuji, Tonga, uh, Tuvalu. I brought somebody from Nigeria, somebody from Mali, somebody from Colombia, Daniel Rousseau from Colombia. And they all came onto the group. And I asked them, what if we build a national um, uh, platform? You know, fifty four project is a global is now global because we have so many people. The original plan was to advocate for the impact of climate change in Africa, but climate change is affecting everyone. We can mm-hmm. harmonize together, and then they said oh that 's a good idea. We love you. We like the way you are bringing content. you know if you know how to write poems i'll sit down with you for hours. I was sitting down with close to six hundred people in the last from two thousand and sixteen to two thousand and eighteen we will be discussing on um, Team 54 Project has a role for you. If you can write poems, look at the materials that I'm working on, look at some of the books I've co authored with some people. We can get this and we can fine tune. Some people wanted to dance. So we are putting up all those content. You know, wow, what, what's this? That's a dance for climate. Wow. I like the melody. And people were just liking it. People say, I want to be part of this. What's Hi. this? Oh, that's uh, one of our members in New York. He loves to recite poems. You know, wow, I like the, you know, the wind and the flow, the the, the scorching sun and drought, uh, climate, evaporation. You know, I say, that's the thing. Team 54 project is an all-inclusive concept that has something for you. As oh. long as you have a passion and a talent, I and my team can squeeze out something for you. And then that went viral, you know. And I'm going to follow
0: you I, up on that. Because did you see my Earth Day poem? Not the Not the Corona poem, the one for Earth Day because one? One
1: specifically... The one you did under the bridge the one you did under the bridge
0: no so maybe you didn't see the other one that was specifically talking about climate change and climate action so i'm going to i'm going to give it to team 54 so they could squeeze out something um <laughs> and, no, and and it's no because that's what you want to it's good that you're saying that because um daniel not just for me but i i want to think i'm talking on behalf of other people where when you have this specific content, you want to know that there is a space and a community for it, even though it affects everyone. And the That's difficulty right. is that even for me, I like to think of myself as a performer, and you know, have and and I'm engaging and a dynamic. But then sometimes we become very selective about content. It's easy to to watch the YouTube channel and the conversations. Um, on entertainment, on, you know, on comedy and all of that. But when you have the space for the more serious content, you know, it's, it's always, it's always a little bit more like pulling teeth, trying to get into the spaces where people have an appreciation and and digest the message that you're trying to bring. So it's very good, not just for me, but even for people listening and people just to be aware that there are communities and that there are spaces for the work that you want to do and the art and the kind of, creative expression that you wanna put out there. So um, I'm very happy to hear about that role. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, um, you you'd you also painted a very clear picture of of that kind of thing. What are some of the other projects or one other project? I know you, you Team 54 focuses on work, not just for climate action or, or not specific to environment, but you're looking at health, security, um, you know, education. So if you want to just talk about one other project and, and what it has been like um, so far.
1: Yes, yes, you're absolutely right that um, our platform is a platform that has this all-inclusive stuff. We want it to be different because that's what got us the UN recognition. You know, you need to also think very well, why will an organization that has not spent up to two years immediately be recognized by the UN be invited to the UN General Assembly to speak. You know, it only has to mean that you have done a very big work in mobilizing a lot of people. And the secret, like you said, is people are tired of the, repeating the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. People get bored when they're doing the same thing over and over again. You have to spice up a lot of things. And for me, I feel what we did is tell people that there's a role you can play. Yes, climate change may look like is an... Is an endless uh, problem that nobody can solve. But imagine if your micro efforts can bring about a macro impact. So all you need to do is whatever you have as a talent, as a skill, as a passion, our team will be able to produce and generate that impact. And that's what we did. So we also looked at what is involved in the environmental movement. Where are the things that people struggle to understand? And one of the things I discovered that people struggle to understand because the languages we use are just too tough or do not suit the peculiarity of the people. So I divided the platform into regions. So we have the African region, we have Asia and Oceania, we have North America, South America, and we have Europe. But I noticed that Europe are very well sensitized and we have very few members of people from Europe. You know, Europe are better organized. They really understand where their situations are. They are already transitioning even before now. You know, now they are now more robust. They now understand that they have to be quicker. They've even given a target date, 2040, 2045. Many European states that you know will not have any fossil fuel driven cars again. You'll be paying tax way more. Electric vehicles are almost taking over the place. So I knew that I needed to get a message in on this climate change. To suit the peculiarity, but you must know the global perspective, and you must know the global solutions. And the global solutions are adapt, mitigate. Whatever you are going to do with respect to technology, must suit into this two-principle strategy. You have to teach people that this thing will not change in a long time. We have to adapt. How do you adapt? If you know fully well, you used to go to your market in a very sunny time. It's time for you to know that at the peak of of, 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 the, of the day. Because of rising temperature, don't go. It's going to affect your health. It's not going to mean anything. Then you have to start planting trees. Trees can sequestrate carbon dioxide, reduce the impact of carbon dioxide, catalytic impact on extreme weather, and reduce emissions uh, You need to start thinking of multiple Cropping system rather than the corn system that clears all the tree and plants only corn, only to be fed to cows that spend so much energy, so much time, so much water are lost just to groom one pound of, of beef. You know, it required a total mental change of mind. So how do I now carry this message to people that do not even understand what attitudinal change is, what growth mindset is? Means that I need to first note where the climate change impact affects them. So I was able to find out, like in my country, that the reason why this uh, uh, fight and Boko Haram issue are going on, yes, we have um, irresponsible governance, yes, we have besetting problems that have existed before we came, but something just escalated to, uh, to cause all this, and what has escalated is our dwindling natural resources, our poor way of managing them. What has e- expanded our problems are climate change. I call it climate disruption, so they don't get confused. I call it extreme weather in Asia, if I'm talking to the Asian audience. You know, I call it our need to take action in North America. So that messaging strategy with my team was able to gather thousands of people. We started opening Facebook Ghana, Facebook Algeria, Facebook Sudan, Facebook uh, um, of all these countries, especially those that we have national, somebody representing our interest on board. And one thing that also attracts people to your brand is this, their lives need to progress. So imagine some of our coordinators got selected to come for the UN General Assembly the one from South Sudan, the one from Lesotho, you know, and they get to speak like me, you know, yes. they get to say, no, it's an all-inclusive stuff. Everybody has something to bring them. They're like, wow. So people started seeing the results. You know, everyone said, ah, I want to go to the US too. I want to, uh, you know, the guy from Yemen, the guy from Yemen, Malak from Yemen, I want to come here. We are fighting, you know, and we started posting pictures of some of the things we tell them to do, you know, school-based advocacy stuff. Not everybody will be able to go into the field to farm but you can do simple things. Plastic cleanup exercise in your area. Right. Just like happened in Somalia land. Uh, two years ago, she was able to organize plastic stuff. It was I was scared for her. She had to turn her back. She had to turn her back so that she's a woman. So that they don't get to see her face. But she and seven, eight other women were able to take tons of plastic in their own area. And also give stuff. I was inspired. And, you know, she mentioned my name in Arabic. You know, she has our T-shirts logo team 54 project so people see it and said oh my goodness this is somaliland what's going on you know and and that's how we were able to grow we now have twitter instagram and in short the magic is this once you have a good content and you're able to inspire people you'll be able to get more content that comes in and that led me to the power of technology technology is the glue Mm. that helped us expand so we now have membership in over 170 countries You know, there are countries I never knew exist, Kiribati. We have an active membership in Kiribati. Yeah, about 34 of them. They are very strong. Uh, Fuji Island, we have solid membership there, you know, and doing well. You understand? And some of what we are doing is inspiring them, you know, to do other things on their own. Like the Fuji guy, the guy representing us in Fuji, Jos Vata. Jos Vata is representing, you know, the Commonwealth, Youth uh, CWN the Commonwealth Youth Council, he's the the country representative on the board. And part of what he drives is the environmental stuff. He tags us everything and we're always proud of him. So we also were an educational hub. So beautiful piece that were not too much of the technical. We bring it domesticated. I was writing also. I was constantly giving presentations. sure we have about a thousand presentations. We got recognition from I'll go, who wrote a personal letter, you know, saying that we appreciate the fact that in the last six months, you've done a hundred presentation. We've been following and taking track of it. Now we have over a thousand. So those contents, we're pushing it out there. All the recognitions we were getting, we're doing. Then I now thought of something. Why not I stand out as an NGO that provides solution? I'm not going to solve the problem of climate change, but I'm going to pick one component of climate change that I think I can influence and then tell people that this is what we did. Because I noticed that no NGO were doing uh, that. All they were doing is, you know, guiding people, rallying people, mobilizing people, giving them, you know, the pamphlet, you know, supporting rallies and protests. Why not have like a service, a product that you can attach to yourself? So I looked for the legal implication because when you register, in the United States of America as a 501c. You have to look at your limit of what you can do and you cannot do. And the lawyers told us, young man, just go for it. So if you look behind me here, yeah, I I decided that, okay, what's the major challenge that I have noticed in my own people? People find it difficult to predict when extreme weather happens. Because of that, they get to plant at the wrong time. You know, right. if you follow agriculture well, or if you follow planting well in Africa, we are rain-fed, or uh, we use the right. climate. You need the climate to determine when we plant. We yes. plant more, you know, pre-raining and during raining season era. You understand? Then we wait for, you know, we wait for post-rain to now harvest. But we notice in the last 25 years, in short, since 2007, precisely, that rainfall amounts have reduced. The quantum has reduced. Uh, temperature has increased. So we're having more stress on land, stress on water that exists. In short, Lake Chad lost, Lake Chad lost um, 70% of its water mass in just 12 years. Mm. That's the truth. And the graphs were just so bad. Now Lake Chad you know, uh, uh, is the final port for many of all those rivers that have tributaries from Nile to Futajalon, the hill of Futajalon, where most of the water that feeds the entire west africa comes in so i felt that is there a way after my research is there a way we can be able to have an app a phone like this that can help farmers you know because most farmers have this phone is how do they use it to their own that can help them be able to see in the next two three months there's going to be drought the temperature will be so much rain will not be so much rather than you plant a crop that is rain fed why not look for the, the drought resistant crop which exists yeah. So many of them were say, which one is drought-resistant crop? It's the crop that will require very little amount of water, but the yield. So right. they needed to know that. And that app will also educate them. The app will also help tourists coming into extreme weather area to say, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to Kiribati in seven months' time. You go on the app and see whether there's any likely extreme weather, tsunami, hurricane, typhoon, you know in that area and then it tells you yes you say okay no i don't want to plan now i'll plan later so i felt there has to be a way the app a land-based digital information can alert people just like amber Alert you guys get when a car is stolen this car when is stolen.
0: stolen i had amber alert
1: <laughs> yes when 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 a car is stolen when a child has been kidnapped you know you you avoid such area or when there's active shooting going on somewhere You know, you avoid that such area, so you are not part of it. So I felt that I can have an app, and that's the app we call the Rep Climb. So the Rep Climb is called Reporting Climate. So it's built to be uh, an interface. It's supposed to be an AI kind of thing. You click on it. You see our logo on, on Rep Climb on it. It tells you you're welcome. It picks your GPS automatically. GPS has already been done. I don't need to reinvent the wheel there. It picks your GPS coordinates in real time, and then tells you uh, where you are, tells you what climate is all about. You, there's a place for it. And then when you go into the area of extreme weather or what you want to do, 10, five days uh, climate report, it gives you uh, an access to that. You know. And the idea resonated well. I said, OK, what if I pitch this idea in a competition? And somehow, a Swedish-based organization, we don't have time. They're the ones that manage Greta the early stage of Greta nobody knew Greta, but they were the ones, you know, that had the photos and pictures of her standing out in 2018. So they were about to organize an uh, eight Day event of 2018. And they asked me, uh, 2019, sorry, they asked me, would you love to pitch this idea? We've seen your idea. You submitted it. We think it was good. I laughed. i like, what? I said, yes, 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 because There's a role for you and your project being visible. If people do not see you doing something, they say you are doing nothing. And that's some of the challenges that governments have. Because people can't see tangible things you are doing on ground. You know, those policies look like um, abstract things to them. But once they are able to put your policies that are abstract into tangible things, into structures, into roles, so I knew that the pathway is to make sure that Team 54 project products or service delivery, or our name, needs to be in the forefront of every environmental uh, uh, event, especially those events that have global calendars. And then I, I I registered in the stuff, and about I think about 100 other ideas were brought on board. And for climate advocacy, of course, our idea topped there. And then they showcased us to the world. It was a wonderful time, you know, uh, I think over a thousand seven hundred people viewed. People were looking at me, red cap guy. Oh my god, red plane, <laughs> that's good. And then they were able to also take our idea to Google. You know, but Google had something they were already doing, Google Earth, you know, but theirs was more of surveillance, there was more of monitoring of natural resources. It was not specific like ours. As had um, we will teach you, we know where you are, we can guide you when there's a flooding plane because with our app when there's flooding it tells you the highest points you do know that the physics of flooding is never be in the low-lying plains because water always finds its level you understand no matter how that water falls it always comes down to flat surfaces so it is you have to be on a higher point than the flood water for you to be safe if you're on that same level where that flood water needs to go and reserve in you know You're going to get drowned. You're going to get washed away. So you always have to look for a higher level. So our app, the idea and the mentality of the app to also help guide you during disaster risk management time, you know, before your government tries to tell you where to go to. You already know the highest points you need to do. And those that have the app, if your phone mobile is still functioning, you're able to triangulate the last point where there is, just to make sure that you're able to adapt to, uh, you know, in real time to what is going on, pending the time, government now look for mitigation strategies, reducing carbon dioxide emission, taxing uh, organizations that are creating that stuff, uh, looking at renewable energy and expanding that framework of clean form of energy, and inspiring young people to do that so Rep climb won uh, in two thousand and nineteen it boosted us. journalists started calling more visibility. I think I had about a hundred interviews with. So many organizations within US in Europe mainly, they were showcasing us. And then I got involved with a UN Global uh Department of Global Communication. There's an African lady there, she's a mentor for many of us here in the US. Her name is Miss Howard Diallo. She's from Syria alone. She somehow spotted what we were doing, you know, was always seeing us on social media and just said, I need to know who this guy is. I know the area of sustainable development goal is very focused on. And she was surprised that I was carrying many caps. You know, I have a health background. Uh, I'm a climate change advocate. Uh, I'm a scholar in Cornell University in New York, upstate New York. I co-wrote some book with Professor Marianne Christney, you know, one of the leading climate educationists in the uh, New York area. You know, he was like, there's no end to this guy. And he's visible. He knows how to engage on social media. He's inspiring people. Look at his story about the girl from Gambia. He inspired this girl to take Poem very serious. The British Society for Poem invited her for an internship position. She used to be our coordinator in Gambia. You know, her parents, I used to laugh at her and says that uh, Poem can do you nothing. Called Mm. me up and say, young man, we thought you were trying to chike her, but we can't believe that someone like you can inspire a girl like that. Just Poem took her to UK when she should be a doctor and things like that. And I explained to them, That you see, the world has changed. The world is always ready for ideas and concepts. You know, uh, yes, it's good to be a doctor. It's good to be a lawyer. It's good to be all those things, but if you cannot use it for the benefit of mankind, for the benefit of people you share common values with, uh, there's this emptiness. That pursuit of happiness will not be confirmed. And you know, when I say things like that, they say, "Oh my God, you're so wise." Oh my God, and you know, Mm -hmm. and I was happy. The testimonies, I started posting them on social media, on Facebook. And people can say, I know this girl. Oh, it was Daniel. You know, people started bringing ideas to me. You know, we started, I have like 60 other groups, you know, outside us that share all we do on Facebook. And, you know, that's what got us um, 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 smoking. And then just to uh, confirm what I was saying, you know, the UN Office of Out of Space, you know, were also looking for a competition they needed to do. The Secretary General had given... Sweeping instruction to all the thousands of agencies that sustainable development goal. Look at how your organization Can be able to feed into the sustainable development goals engage young people and then my team of three Myself my wife and uh, one of my directors You know, we sat down and said let's look at RepCline Is there any way we can expand on RepCline? Are there technologies that are way more sensitive than digital based technology which Rep climb was originally meant to be. So I discovered in my connection with the UN, because I had a UN pass, I was given a UN pass, UN ID, I could assess the library. And then I stumbled over um, space, geospatial information, space-based information. I was like, what? Just nine countries in 1978, nine countries in the last 50 years are the ones that saw the future before me and you saw the future. No, 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 no. I took the library, I took the book, to the librarian and then he asked me, who are you? Are you into Mm -hmm. space based stuff? I said, no, I'm a non-space actor. He said, what? And I (laughs) said, I have some ideas. I told him the ideas. He looked at me, you know, he said, okay, come back later. I guess they did the research. And then they told me that the UN office of out of space affairs is the umbrella body in the UN that monitors anything that leaves earth to space. So even if North Korea is going to shoot any missile any kind of projectile that leaves the atmospheric level. It is registered in the UN Office of Outer of Space. They cannot stop you, but they know what comes in, what goes out. They work hand in hand with NASA. They work hand in hand with the International Astronomical Congress and things like that. So they, someone gave me the flyer you know, in the library and said, See, you have this good idea. Can you put this rep climb in the context of space
0: and then pitch uh-huh. for
1: the idea? And I so did. But you made that.
0: space climb.
1: Yes, Space Climb. <laughs> so I just changed it from <laughs> Red Climb to, you know, they're the same thing. It's just that Space Climb is satellite guided information, you know, that is relayed back on a module here on Earth that now relays back to everything. So who, do what that,
0: who does that help or what does that help making us for Space Climb?
1: Beautiful. Now, because digital place connection are under atmospheric pressure. What it means, under atmospheric impact, what it means is when it rains, it rains here. It doesn't rain in space. Have you ever heard it rains in space? You I remember don't know growing... what
0: happens in space. I'm just, yeah. I'm just
1: Remember what happens in Jamaica. You're watching a, 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 a football match in Kingston. Yeah. And then when they start to rain, say, oh, no, the network signal, oh, my god, signal yes. is bad, you know? And all those In space, space-based technology do not have such things. It reports in real time, you understand. All those atmospheric impact are cut off, you know, from the stream of the data that it gets to you on ground. The problem now is you have to have a receiving port on land that accepts satellite-based stuff. And that's why you see satellite phones are well encrypted. Not very many of us have it, but are very reliable. Now, what inspired me with that is that something happened in Malawi uh, last year i don't know if you remember a cyclone cyclone that was the equivalent of grade 2 hurricane it happened in malawi and thousands of people died in their sleep from the autopsy they didn't see it coming all they needed was an amber alert to tell them that a quantum of water with wild wind and all these things coming your way seek high ground or move away from this place many of them died in their sleep some were hanging on the roof for 3 days in short, it was so bad. The only thing that saved Mozambique was a satellite phone. All land-based technology, must everything, was devastated. Still, I speak to you, Mozambique, Malawi, uh, Tanzania, Zimbabwe, that were hit, but Mozambique was worse off. Have not recovered from it. So when I found out that it was a satellite-based phone that told the world what happened 48 hours prior, I knew that you know rep climb is good but you need to have something much higher uh, than that so that also triggered me to think that we pitched the idea and and space climb won this the sdg 13 sustainable development goal idea the un office of Outer Space sponsored us to washington dc for two weeks i went to white house met the vice president met the nasa director all those things are on social media page because once you show those evidence you don't lie. Everybody says, my God, how can Team 54 Project, you know, you know? And then I started having a new level of followership. You know, the NASA director reached out to me and told me he's going to direct me to the aspect of NASA that has to do with, you know, climate science, climate education. They call it NASA Earth. It's headquarters in Alabama. They've done their background work. How did you come about this? How did you know so much? I said, I read You know, these are things God do for me. As a young man, I assimilate knowledge and make sense of everything quickly. You know, they say these kind of things we need. Yeah, so that's how we're able to create content. So my my messaging is this. If you want to make impact in the environmental uh, movement, you must be able to identify a problem. When you identify a problem, now look for an alternative. Rep climb, space climb are alternative. The permanent solution is that government must now begin to have strict regulations on environmental things they push out into the atmosphere. Secondly, government must now transit from fossil fuel driven economy system to renewable energy. But in the interim, because it's a transition phase, these are the things we need to do. We must be addressing the impacts of climate change in agriculture, food security, in health like we have it in the COVID. It has an element of you know of the environmental degradations and cutting of trees you know that made animals that usually stay in forest to move into human population area the contact of human population area with wild animals that are reservoirs for this coronavirus be it cats and all those stuff
0: that's very impressive especially what you have done with with rec climb and space climb and it's showing that we gotta add clearly scientists to your hat and one of the important things i want to underscore as you mentioned, you were a non-space actor. So when we talk about how you mentioned about needing to find solutions to impacts, and that also shows people that if you care about a problem and you want to devise a solution, once you become investment invested in doing the relevant research, talking to people who work in the space, and exactly. then, you know, Put, putting your solution on the table then you can make something happen so we need to to, to slowly let go of the notion that i need to be an engineer for 20 no. years i need to be working exactly. um i mean not, not that it isn't important it's all about how you see the balance and just That's understand true. that there is space at the table for you once you decide you want to make a difference we're winding down though daniel um so um i want you to talk about quickly uh, the, the whole aspect of social entrepreneurship for for team for for team 54 project because we, yes. we understand from what you shared about having a global community and people working in the different countries how is it um, like mobilizing funding do you need funding for these sort of initiatives because I think even other social entrepreneurs climate advocates are people who want to do things um, activities in their in their respective spaces it's always a challenge this pitch for funding and attracting investment to to you know get your initiative to the next level
1: yes thank you so as we conclude um one of the important things that um, drives ideas and project is funding you are absolutely right so what we did i and my team sat down to look at the peculiarities in the region what are the likely projects that will need to be funded? Yes, so REP Climb and Space Climb is US based, technology based. But we know in Africa, I'm giving an example, technology is not like in the 100% uh, region, you know, and it's not uh, widely expansive. However, agricultural practices are universal in every African nation. There's no nation in every African nation that do not have some form of agricultural practice. Right. So I and my team sat down. How can we be able to to push this message on on to our would-be donors to see need to invest in uh, solutions that can help the African contest or vulnerable community to that we saw similarity in the agricultural pattern. And what we found out from our research is permaculture. Permaculture has a lot of names: regenerative agriculture, smart eco-agriculture. You right. know, but I felt that permaculture is a more umbrella body for us in context because it marries the need for you not to waste anything on your, on your farm site. It right. marries the need to integrate a, a renewable energy. It marries the need to, to teach people so that people learn that there are smarter ways of engaging agriculture. More importantly, it marries the need to incorporate entrepreneurial mentality rather right. than substance. And subsistence is I want to feed myself and my family. That's not how to be sustainable in the long run. Mm-hmm. When that runs out, you go begging again. But if you have the entrepreneurial mindset, a mindset that takes your talent and your skills, whatever you are doing, expands upon it, and helps you be able to project into the future so that you can have something for yourself, something to sell for people to return that initial capital that has allowed you to enter there. So the permaculture is the natural policing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That nature can uh, be able to come on board to integrate with our technology and then i felt we can be able to teach that to people so team 54 project will support every other movement but now we are now focused on that permaculture driven stuff with the view of integrating some of all the things i have told you renewable energy right. all those
0: so how you do you get funding to 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 have these things possible so our
1: fundings our fundings now come from four major places for now uh, my family have been very supportive of, of, of my brand and some of our inner circles of friends, you know, our right. management team, the volunteer, you know, all the all the over 50 to 60 country coordinators are volunteer on their own oh, okay. level. My management team's volunteer, though we are now in the uh, position of now looking to pay one person. Uh, and then we have partners that have been working with us for the last three years let me give you an example unicef unicef are eager to work with us so we are drafting out some proposals now but for the covid that has disrupted that unicef sponsored me to a world bank event you know in 2019 where i pitched some of these ideas so they are willing to support our our project um a canadian-based organization there are many other organizations that are doing family and friends and our members they volunteer their own time and some state and some country governments. So during the UN General Assembly, I was able to meet nine youth ministers, you know, we're working with Liberian government, the youth ministry, you know, and then those people too are there. I'm working with some state governments in my own country, local governments in my own country, you know, they've reached out to us. So those are some of the things that are helping us be able to push this. And then many other Alaska-based organization, ACK, You know, the the Organization Act is working with us, you know, to create a business model for five years, you know, on how to help all these people, you know, scale up, you know, if they want to do uh, this stuff on a normal. But the point is, yes, funding is required. And that's why we are advocating for government to create platforms to help young people. Young people have lots of ideas. This is not just me. It's because me and you are visible. We're the privileged people. You know, that can sit down with a uh, France president, take a picture with him, share your ideas with him, mm-hmm. sit down with mm-hmm. the secretary general, sit down with other executive members of the UN staff. Not every young person will have this opportunity. So what That's I true. think we should now do in moving forward, for some of us that get called to the table, rather than complain and point a finger, there's a role to point a finger and call out your leaders. But what is more important is the action we take for climate solution. You can go on the streets and you can protest all you want, but what will need to be done is planting those trees. What will need to be done is practicing smarter way of agriculture. What will need to be done is planting trees, designing technologies that can sequestrate carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Those are the things that have more sweeping impact. Yes, call out your leaders. We support that people shout out, but when you return back to your houses, start planting the trees, do away with plastic, start transiting from, you know, um, from inorganic, Uh, agricultural practice to more organic agricultural practice. That's the way forward. So uh, our model now is an all-encompassing system that integrates smarter technological practice with smart eco agricultural principles with good governance from the government regulation buying into the idea and now gluing all this to create opportunities you know, for young people. For now, we are focusing on vulnerable communities in Africa and all those stuff. So in the next one or two years, uh, this master plan of permaculture and our template will come out. We hope to get sponsorship and business model. But that's the way forward. You must be able to go to that table with something in your hand. You must be able to go to that table with something to say when given opportunity to speak. You must be able to dissect and know your audience. You must be able to get your ideas out there staying back nobody's going to come nobody's going to come and clap your hand you're not queen elizabeth you're not prince charles (laughs) you understand you have to go out there they call it hustle in jamaica you know they call it uh, runs in nigeria you have to go out there and tell people that you are part of this stake called humankind and you just want to contribute your little best to making the world slightly better i'm not here to solve all the problems and this is what i tell our partners i'm right. here to add value to that system and then tell them that there are people like me you know from africa people like me from my tribe the Igbo people that are more than ever ready to have global perspective but to domesticate this global knowledge and understanding into local peculiar uh, challenges with the view of getting it solved
0: Wow, very impressive Daniel. Um, thank you so much for sharing and providing so much exposure to the work that you're doing, to who you are, yeah, man. many hats that you wear. <laughs> um, and, and I love, of course, I'm embracing the whole Global Yadi yeah, um, thing. Um, I hear you a while ago, yeah man, you see like we Jamaicans need to go out more and um, I want it's... to have other you know, people from on the show to to have that kind of cultural exchange because we love that kind of injection as well. Um, One of the things I wanted to say why it's important to always talk about climate change in this regard because you gain a new perspective. Sometimes I get scared that when you talk about climate change and climate action in a general sense, people lose the meaning until you make it, as you mentioned, impact-based what is it that you're going through in your community in your country and then when you bring the solutions closer to it so you talk about rep climb that's like climate forecasting drought outlook and, and you know providing climate products and services so farmers can make better decisions that's something that's needed across a lot of countries especially where agriculture is a, a major economic driver and, and, you know, livelihood source. So um, I think that's just wonderful work that you are doing. And it's inspiring us, as we said before, you have an idea and you want to pursue it, do the reading, do the research and make the connections. And, exactly. you know, it, that's all that needs to happen. Before we leave Daniel, we will be including the website information for team... for we'll we'll be including the website information for for projects of 54 but just tell us quickly how we can get connected people listening how can they get connected with you and just the social media handles for your yeah so team54project.org is the website that's
1: our website team54project.org is our website we're also on twitter as team54projects there's an s because (laughs) we have so many team54project chapters so there's an s on instagram We are Team 54 Project ORG, one word, Team 54 Project ORG. And we're also on Facebook. Just go to the Facebook search engine, Team 54 Project International. That's the mother group. We have Team 54 Project Ghana, any other stuff. It will prop up when you are there. But the mother group is where everybody qualifies in. Uh, The reason why we have those other chapters is there are peculiar issues that they also want to face. They do not want to uh, totally water down themselves. And they use the Facebook chapter uh, uh, group to organize themselves when we want to have, uh, you know, local, state, and national events. Another right. thing you can also reach us is you can reach us on our, uh, on our email address, info at team54project.org, info at team54project.org. Or you can reach me on my personal stuff, bougie Dan, to at yahoo.com don't worry i'll send you all those links and right. we also want your support for rep climb because uh, google reached out to us to tell us if we're able to get hundred thousand people that says that this app makes sense to us that they'll be able to do that app free for people i don't want to Collect
0: any money. Right. So so here what you can do. We could definitely put that in the show description. And guess what? Exactly. And we have a blog section. So not just for you, but other persons who are listening. If you wanna even have us you know just send us some information we'll be happy to put that in our blog section and i can also promote it on our channels as well global yadi on twitter global yadi on instagram and facebook (laughs) and i'm I'm also saying that for people who are listening if you haven't followed our social media channels i'm gonna cry right now but just do remember to do that dr Bouge daniel a wearer of many hats not just a red hat but he's a medical hat he's a dad hat he's a husband hat climate advocate and I'm going to add tech developer to that doing so many big things and inspiring people not just from his home country um, of Nigeria and the African nation but across the world and just just encouraging us to just do what we can to you know to make the change that we want to see thank you so much Daniel for joining us here on Global Yard and I love Global Yeti. <laughs>